you're about to enjoy a free episode of The Dull Crayons. To support the show and earn cool rewards, stop by our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dullcrayons. When we hit 25 supporters, we will release the second set of Llama Llama Red Pajama Freestyles by yours truly and BX Tony, and you know you want to hear those. You can also support us by throwing us some star magic and writing a review on iTunes. And as always, stay dull, carry snacks. Good morning, boys and girls. Today, we'll be learning all about... Dull Crayon. Welcome back, welcome back. You are in the crayon box. You are at the very bottom, very dark in there. I hope you're not scared, but don't worry. Your friends are here. We, of course, are the dull crayons. Uh, we are the nubs. We are the dullards. I am your loyal dullard, Gabriel Zuger. And uh, we're doing something really special for you today. We're going to have a couple of segments. Our first one is going to be our very first call-in show. That's right, live calls coming in on the podcast never been done before very experimental we hope that you'll uh you'll you'll bear with us uh through the 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 bumps and the and the screeches and we'll see what happens um and then uh following that we are gonna have a uh, another call in uh from willie on the car phone uh who we're all excited to hear from again uh fan favorite willie on the car phone will be here on the other side, uh, but just to start us off, um, we uh, I'm getting the green light from our producer that uh, we have some callers on the line. This is my first time working the, the phone board here, um, but I'm just going to press uh, uh, call number one here, and we will see what happens. Uh, this is number one. Caller, are you there? Hi. Hi, Gabriel. Yes. Uh, this is Professor uh, Susan Glider from uh, Palo Alto, California. How are you? Professor Glider, it's great to hear from you. I'm super well. What What did you want to uh, talk to us about today? Uh, all right. Just a quick question that's, that's really been burning up my insides. Um, Gabe, fuck, Mary kill. Arnie Duncan, Steve from Blue's Clues, or the Bill from Schoolhouse Rocks, I'm just a Bill. Oh God! I mean, that is that is a great question. I can see why it's been keeping you up at night. Obviously, Professor. Um, really, I I think I've got to um, you know, I've got to I've got to fuck Arnie. Uh, I think for obvious reasons. I'm not even gonna go much more into that. It's just the the sex appeal is just he's dripping with it. Um, I'm gonna marry Steve from Blues Clues because nothing hit me harder. Uh, as a as a child, uh, than when Steve left Blue's Clues, and and to see Steve walking back into my life would just make me weep with joy. And I'm gonna kill the Bill. I'm gonna kill that fucking Bill sitting on Capitol Hill because what a whiny piece of shit. I just could never stand uh, how he he just approached the whole legal system with such blase i'm just a bill on capitol hill fuck that guy 
uh, got to get rid of him. Um, I, I hope that answers your question. And uh, thank you for being a listener. Thank you for calling. And uh, 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 please call back again on our on our next call-in show. Uh, caller number two, are you there? Uh, hey, Gabe. Yes. Hey, uh, it's uh, Joey from the uh, Edison, New Jersey Toll Plaza. How are you? Joey, Joey, a uh, long time no hear from. Haven't haven't seen you in a while. How you been? Uh, good, good. Yeah, um, I I have a good question for you. I think. Are you are you are you in the are you in the toll booth right now? Yeah, born and bred. Okay, great, great, great. What's the traffic like out there? Uh, it's murder. Oh God. Oh God. Please yeah. make make sure make sure you're you're wearing I, I Joey Joey just take care of yourself. Make sure you're wearing a mask. You know I, I don't want you to get too much of that smog, too much of that uh, carbon monoxide out there on the on the turnpike. It's too late for me, Gabe. <laughs> I'm sorry, Joey. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to strike a bad nerve. What's your question, Joey? Uh, Gabe, uh, is it immoral to use uh, R. Kelly's "World's Greatest" to teach metaphor, given the hashtag Mute R. Kelly movement? Listen, uh, here's the thing about um, here's the thing about R. Kelly. Uh, here's the thing about World Greatest. Uh, here's the thing about um, Best of Both Worlds. Um, you know, Jay Z and R. Kelly crossover. Um, it is it is all got the kibosh right now. It it, it you know, unfortunately, it, it is a it is it's a sad but an important time that we're living in that um that that we 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 can't use these things anymore. Um, but there is a glimmer. There is a glimmer in this. There, there is a silver lining in this, and that is that. I swear to God, when Remix to Ignition comes on, there nobody's crying, everybody's dancing. I think we can say safely, uh, uh, we saved one. Like we saved one. You know, we pulled one from that burning wreck. But yes, unfortunately, everything else in the catalog is tainted. Every single thing he's ever done. Um, Especially the in my, in the closet stuff. I mean, you know, for me, for me, uh, R. Kelly, uh, a lot like uh, Louis C.K. these days. Like, y- you're just looking at these guys that like they were ratting on themselves the whole time, telling on themselves the whole time. I'm hiding in my closet. Like, I'm doing dirty things you don't want to know about. Louis C.K. was always talking about like jerking off and you know like always talking about exposing himself without ever saying I expose myself to women. Um, listen, these guys on some level are all just Gary Hart. They all just want to get caught. Uh, so listen, you got to get rid of the catalog. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta ditch that lesson plan. I'm, I'm sorry, Joey. Uh, but, but love you much love to you. Keep doing your teaching. Uh, keep looking for those strong metaphors that I know you love. Um, you're a literary expert. I know you'll come up with something good. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Uh, caller number three, are you there? Hi, this is uh, Daniel Koppelman from uh, Houston, Texas. Daniel, Daniel, first time caller. Nice to hear from you. Uh, yeah. What's going on, Mr. Coppleton? I'm a long time first time. <laughs> I've been yeah. calling a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, what's on your mind, Daniel? Um, all right, uh, so there are 19 states that uh, currently allow uh, corporal punishment in schools. Uh, would you like me to list them for you, Gabe? How about um, instead of listing all 19, why don't you tell us uh, 
two or three that are obvious and then two or three that are like shockers. Great. Um, <laughs> they're all kind of obvious. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, Daniel, uh, there's a little bit of bias in your statement. Your privilege is showing a little bit, but um, all yeah, right, I'm, go ahead. I'm on your list five. <laughs> all right. All right. So 19 states that currently allow corporal punishment. Let's say um, Alabama, Idaho, South Carolina, Wyoming, Kentucky. You move to one of them. Okay. Under what circumstances do you use it? I, you know, it's. I'm really glad you brought this up, and it's a, it's, it's, it's a point uh, that that uh, I, I've I've never drifted too far from. It's it's always been in my mind, uh, especially after, um, you know, the uh, the Adrian Peterson story came out a few years ago about him, uh, you know, taking a switch to his boy and and just sort of bloodying him up and stuff. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Mr. Coppleton, that that New York State is actually on the list of corporal punishment, unless uh, unless that got changed recently. It might have been 21 states and then gone down to 19. But anyway, at some point, New York was definitely there. And I have been told in throughout my entire career, including my first teaching career, uh, my first teaching job when I was 19 in a pre-K, in a private pre-K on the Upper East Side, I have been told in almost every class that I work in by at least one dad, you know, you can hit my kid if you want, right? And I'm not kidding you. I have been looked in the eye by at least one dad in every single class I've taught. And they have said, if he needs to be hit, you have my permission to hit him. And there's there's only one right answer to that, and I, I don't want to I don't want to be uh, uh, all Chris Rock on this when when uh, you know talking to your girl about an abortion. But there's only one right answer to this, and it's not yes, I will, <laughs> and it's not sir, I would never. How could you even? It's okay, got it. Like that's it. They need you to hear them say that like. Basically, you will if it ever came to it. Like, you can't say no. If you say no, you've lost all trust in that parent. Now, you can, you don't ever have to do that. And frankly, you can't ever do that. I don't care if the state allows it or not. Do not be fucking doing that, people. Um, but if a parent tells you that, you have to say, okay, if it comes to that. <laughs> um, for me, uh, there's, 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 there's no, there's really no place I'm 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 comfortable going with that. Uh, for me, also though, knowing myself, you know, the the machine gun mouth that I am, I'm always fairly confident that I could do far more damage to any child by the things that I could say that would crush their souls. So I'm much more happy to go to that stuff than to uh, to ever uh, go for a spanking or anything like that. So listen, uh, Koppelman, I you bring up a good point about about the corporal punishment in 19 states. Uh, we're in a pretty backwards country, pretty divided. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for calling, and do do call more. You know, first time li- for a uh, long time listener, first time caller. You know, I'm not going to do the uh, the uh, the Mike Francesa voice, but I will say that I had uh, producer Chris get me a uh, Diet Coke earlier tonight. Um, just saying. Uh, do we have any other calls on the line? Yes, producer Chris is telling me we have other calls on the line. I'm going to go to number uh, four here. Four, you are on the line. What is up? You're in the cran box. Hi, this is uh, this is Lulu James from um, uh, Moose Jaw, Ontario. How are you? Ontario, terrific. Oh my goodness. 
Good day, mate. Uh, it's nice to to hear from somebody uh, uh, down under, or I should say over. Yeah. Um, wow, wow. First international call. Great. Uh, so great to hear from you. Uh, is it Lulu? Lulu. Lulu. Lulu, what's on your mind? Uh, question. Uh, who would make the best fourth grade teacher? Uh, Wario, Yoshi, or like a shitload of Goombas, those little mushroom things. <laughs> well, um, can I ask uh, just a just a clarifying question? Um, so you said you said fourth grade. Um, do you have any sense of the the class size or the demographic uh, that that you'd want to speak to here? Yeah, the demographic is all um, Princess Peach. <laughs> And how many princess speeches? Uh, uh, twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. So that's, that's a pretty big fourth grade class. I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. Um, so I'm so in a tough area. So so I'm almost tempted to go with a shit ton of Goomba. Now the problem with the Goombas is that they're gonna be intimidated by the princess peaches and that and that's what you can't have especially fourth grade princess peaches you can't have that right you you've got to maintain a, a sense of of superiority a sense of control um and that's why i gotta go with wario um and it's it, you know you're uh, immediately i think you and the audience are going to think gabe you're going to a, a place of fear a place of uh fear-based respect but hear me out I think that with the Goombas, they would uh, they would just lose a sense of control, and you always want to maintain boundaries with kids. Um, fourth grade, Princess Peaches, none of it matters. You've got to maintain those boundaries. And I, I listen without being too racist here. I just don't know that a Yoshi has the the English language skills um, necessary. And I would worry about a Yoshi being bullied by a pack of fourth grade princess peaches. I mean, they can be very clickish, they can be very bitchy and they can do a lot of bullying, including of their teachers. Um, at least that's what I've been told by all their bus drivers. So I, I got to go Wario on this one. Thank you. Thank you so much for your call. Uh, we, we always appreciate, uh, Mario Kart inspired phone calls. Um, and, uh, we look forward to more discussions of Toad, of course. Yahoo! Uh, caller number five. Is there hey. a five on the line? Yeah. Hey, uh, this is, uh, this is Holly from, uh, Helena, Montana. How are you? Good, Montana. Great to hear from you, Montana. Big sky country, Holly. How are you enjoying it out there? Love it. Uh, it th there's something weird about our radio station. This is actually the only radio show that we get on any any frequency. It's uh, you're you're both loved and reviled out here. Nothing nothing weird about that, Holly. Uh, we've we've done a lot of uh, groundwork in Montana. Uh, we 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 sent some interns out there uh, back in 2014 just to to lay some. Uh, some some fiber optic lines and and I guess that must be why we're the only ones out there and nothing nothing uh, strange about being loved or hated either uh, we we get that a lot <laughs> our our death threats are almost as numerous as our um, emailed uh, panties 
uh, they just come in in droves. All from Montana? Uh, very, uh, an, an equal batch, yes, certainly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, I would say that about 96.5% of our listeners are in Montana, hmm. um, but about 100% of our email comes from them. Interesting. Uh, I didn't know we had email in Montana. <laughs> <laughs> that fiber optic line, baby. <laughs> Dedicated. <laughs> uh, anyway, my question, um, what is the ideal elementary school mascot and are trees ever an acceptable mascot? Trees, uh, glad you brought it up. Trees are 100% unacceptable. Um, the, the, I believe it's the, uh, the Stanford Sentinel this is a complete abomination of all mascottery. If you cannot personify it, it cannot be a mascot. And I say that knowing full well that there are plenty of mascots out there, uh, including mascots from uh, that that recent Netflix, terrible Netflix uh, movie about mascots uh, by the creators of uh, Spinal Tap. Um, mascots that are inanimate objects, such as socks, or gloves, um, even these are better off than trees. Um, uh, I, I believe mainly because socks and gloves still have more brain waves than trees do. You know, trees only give off that, I think, like beta brain wave or something. Uh, I don't know. It's basically why they're asleep all the time. Um, trees, never, ever acceptable. Ideal school mascots. You know, I, I, I hate to be cornball on it, but I'm a big fan of birds. I mean, birds go a long way. You got birds of prey. You got birds that are intelligent, like owls. But let's not go crazy on the owls. There's a lot of fucking owls out there already. Um, you could go all Harry Potter on it and have, like, a griffin or something. I mean, birds birds are excellent birds amaze kids and uh and you can have them fly out you know onto the court whatever it is uh so i i think i think birds are good i think also outlawed along with trees anything under the ocean um not only are our aquatic animals uh terrifying and and insane to look at if they were say at a chess tournament or a football field uh, but it's scary down there. Those fuckers outnumber us by like an insane amount. Uh, we we really don't want to know about anything that's going on down there. We don't want to be reminded about how much we don't know about the deep. Uh, so that's also going to be an X nay. Really great question, and I we do hope to get to to more uh, mascot talk in uh, some upcoming uh, episodes. Uh, so thank you for bringing that all important topic up. Um, and, uh, we're going to go to, uh, one more caller, uh, and, uh, this is coming from a, uh, this is weird. This is coming from a 911 area code. Uh, yes. Caller, are you there? Ah, ah, hey, who is this? <laughs> ah, this is, this is Gabriel, Gabriel Zuger with the dull crayons. How are you? Who are you? Uh, uh, JT Caputo, uh, calling from Oakland. Um, I am on Miss Frizzle's bus. <laughs> JT, are you okay? Can you tell us what form the bus has taken or where you might be in the solar system? The bus has taken the form of a firefly. Is Miss Frizzle or Liz the lizard on the bus with you? Because if the... so, 
They're, they're on the bus. They made us wear seatbelts, which is bullshit. It's bullshit, Gabe. That's fucking bullshit. And I expect that uh, Ralph or Liz will come over shortly and unbuckle you so that you are free to move about the cabin. Um, I think that uh, given the situation, it sounds like Miss Frizzle has gone a little bit uh, dictatorial. She may need to be bound and gagged. Uh, I would assume a coup d'etat position and uh, appoint Liz, your new de facto leader, right away. Thank you. Also, how do I call actual 911? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I don't speak Firefly. I, you're breaking up. I don't. <laughs> I think we lost him. I think we lost him. We lost the translation. Uh, hopefully, uh, like like the end of all good uh, Magic School Bus episodes, a producer will call in at the end and explain to us exactly what happened there and what we were uh, supposed to learn from that tragic episode. Um, I do hope that all passengers on that bus are safe and uh, that they uh, get to get to whatever lesson they were meant to learn. Uh, so we're going to come back with a segment uh, from Willie on the car phone and uh, stick around. Seatbelts, everyone! Please let this be a normal field trip with a friend. No way! Cruising on down Main Street, you're relaxed and feeling good. Next thing that you know, you'll see it. Octopus in my neighborhood, surfing on the sign It's a wild ride. Come on, ride on the magic school bus. Welcome back. Welcome back into the podcast. You are on with the Dull Boys. That is right. This is the Dull Crans, your comedy education podcast gold, coming at you from the Freddie D Studios. And we have a longtime listener, uh, frequent caller on the line. It's Willie on the car phone. Willie, how are you today? And more importantly, where are you today? Hey, Gabe, how are you? Good I, to hear I, from you. I am fleeing the uh, the destruction of the Tappan Zee Bridge. There's currently a, a tsunami in my rearview mirror. I should I, make it out in time. But in the meantime, while under the under the the shade of this tsunami. I'd love to talk education. <laughs> I saw that earlier today, and honestly, you were the first person that I thought of uh, when I saw, you know, uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo's dumbass quote of like that shit went straight down. Uh, all I could think was, where was Willie in his car? Was he on the Tappan Zee? Was he on the Verrazano? What was his view like? Uh, was he on that new shitty bridge that's going to be defunct, you know, you know, that's going to be uh, 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 unusable in 30 years? Like, where was he? So you were on it. 
I was on it. Yeah, it was it was an epic jump from the old one to the new one. Um, both both a danger and a metaphor, if you will. <laughs> and uh, I read some articles about it on my on my phone, which you're not supposed to do while driving. <laughs> and there's a a huge crowd of people watching this piece of shit bridge get blown up. That's what I, I heard. I heard the crowd was really like pretty epic out there. I heard I heard kids stayed home from school just to watch the Tap and Z because their family members were worried that they'd be missing a part of history. Jeez, where are the truant officers when you need them? <laughs> <laughs> they should have been there, just dog catcher style with the truck and the big net, just rounding them up. I mean, I, I do I do think I, I, I really can't wait to see in the next 10 years uh, when, uh, you know, the, the, the Texas board that writes all of our textbooks for, you know, history in the United States comes out with their blurb about the day the Tappan Zee Bridge came down. The final segment, the, the like left anchor or whatever it was, that is going to be harrowing stuff, uh, probably rivaling their description of 9-11. Yeah, I mean, do you think we're going to start to uh, measure time as pre-old Tappan Zee Bridge and post-old Tappan Zee Bridge? I think that's exactly how we have to start measuring time in the future. That's right. We, we are living in a Philip K. Dick uh, Dystonia-level <laughs> event here um, because, yeah, who knows what kind of world it's going to be without the Tappan Zee Bridge. I know. I, I mean, know. I just, I just can't wait to see what horrors await us. Uh, I looked up what a Tappan Z is. I thought it was a person. I thought it was gonna be like like the nickname of like one of the guys in the Sopranos, like, hey Tappan Z <laughs> Turns out it's not that. Um Tappan is named for the, the Native American uh sub tribe of the area and Z is Dutch for C. <laughs> so it's, it's the body of water that that bridge spans is it, the Tappan it does not sound like that at all. Not only does it sound like a character killed off in the third season of The Sopranos, it also sounds like something that somebody who like dips uh, like tobacco might do. Like, hey, you you tapping and zian today? Like, you tapping yeah. zian? Yeah, you know me, man. I'm tapping z. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think you and I both have a few too many teeth in our mouths to make yeah. it sound just right. But I think you hit it a little more on the nose. It should be a little sibilant on the Z <laughs> between your teeth. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Oh, my God. Thank you for that for that lesson in um, morphology right there. <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, we brought you on, Willie, uh, on the car phone. And you are, you are still driving, correct? You're, you're on the road right now? Yeah, I mean, I'm getting out of the, the shadow of the tsunami. Um, I okay. should be. Yeah. Are you, are, you in the, are you in the passing lane? Are you in the middle? Are you taking it easy? I, my car only knows the passing lane. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, I mean, this new bridge looks smooth. I lost a lot of mufflers on the old bridge. Bumpy, I hear you. Bumpy bridge. I hear you on that. Yeah, the new the new one looks the new one the new one's sexy. You know, it's got it's got a nice rib cage on it. I got to tell you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it does. It's got a nice pair of lungs. But I'm, I'm still I'm still driving. <laughs> All right, good. So listen, you know, stay stay in whatever gear you're in, because uh, I just want to tell you um, some really really pretty crippling news now. News that we've we've had for a while, but I think in in light of our um, current LA. 
uh, teachers strikes, uh, this, this, uh, sort of back page, uh, story from the New York times coming all the way back in September of 2018 is still super relevant. This is a uh, second shift. What teachers are doing to pay their bills. Uh, it says here, some teachers devote 60 hours a week to the classroom, then go to work elsewhere. The hours can be long, the labor physical, the pay close to minimum wage. Teachers across the country are now baristas, Amazon warehouse employees, movie theater managers, and fast food grill cooks. They're entering the gig economy in off hours and struggling to stay awake during school days. Here are some of the things they do. The 16% of American teachers who have second jobs to make ends meet. Now they say 16% there, but I'm going to give you another percentage later that we're going to add to that 16 to basically make up 26%. Um, but it then goes on to describe, I'm, I'm not going to read all of these things to you, but I just want you to hear uh, these people's salaries, their number of years on the job, what they teach, and then their second job. So Chantel Hiley uh, teaches English. She makes 40 grand a year and she's been working in education for 21 years yeah. that is staggering i wonder what, what like what has her salary growth been oh and oh. just zero or like was she making like three <laughs> i think i think yeah no i think i i think it's illegal to give zero whenever like cost of living goes up so I think, right, probably it was like 0 0.05 every single year or something. Um, and then like, and then like the promise of better benefits or like, you know, pension to make up or something. But anyway, because obviously 40 grand for 21 years work doesn't do anything for her in Oklahoma. Uh, she supplements that by working, by uh, managing a movie theater. Uh, actually, wait. Uh, oh, also window washer. No, sorry. That's not the movie theater. That's the window washer. Wait, movie theater. Tracy Tevis makes 48 grand a year teaching fourth grade. Now, she's only been on the job five years. She's in Kentucky. She manage, She Her second job is theater manager. She's a movie theater manager. Her third job is sales associate at the Disney store. This bitch has three motherfucking jobs. Wow. How much does she work? I, I don't know, but she's 28 and single. So, like, good luck ever having a life when you have three jobs and yeah. live in that's, Kentucky. That's I wonder, yeah, I wonder if she's, like, completely saddled with student loans. That's, Has to be. Yeah. I mean, uh, Willie, Willie, you've you've worked in schools before. Have you ever taken a second job to to make up for anything? I've worked over the summer um, and I've worked actually for the school district. It was like opportunities we could do with summer schools to get a little extra money and then also build some relationship with kids. But I never had to work during the school year. Right. But I, I remember once actually going to the movie theaters when I was a teacher and getting there, then getting ready to pay my ticket, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Like, teacher who works across the hall from me, who is taking tickets at the movie theater, and she was like, "Hey, Willie!" And I was like, "Hey, what's like? How are you?" And she was like, "Hey, this is my my other job." And I was like, "All right, well, I'm here to see like insert Avengers movie," and 
and she was like, yeah, just don't, don't pay for this. Come on. And, and I got him for free. So, <laughs> so maybe these second jobs aren't such a bad thing. <laughs> maybe these second jobs aren't such a bad thing. If right. If it means that all teachers are scratching each other's backs constantly. How about you? Have you ever had to take secondary employment? So like like you, I I have definitely worked during the summer. In fact, I've worked most summers that I've been a teacher. It's been the rarity for either a honeymoon or another special purpose, like meeting my, uh, you know, in-law great grandmother. Uh, like say again. Like you being selfish. Basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Me being selfish. Um, I've, other than that, I've worked every summer at camps of various levels. Um, and, and I think that's one of those funny things of like, I, I wouldn't even consider that a second job. Like it is a second job, but to me, it's just always been the norm. But then there are lots of people out there who on the outside are looking at teachers like, oh man, you guys have summers off. They don't realize that really the norm is teachers work. I know teachers who've worked at, you know, beach bars, right, in like the Jersey Shore and teachers who've sold T-shirts and worked at camps and done this and that. Like, but we work with teachers that work at Disney, like our friend Diana, like they work during the summer. It's 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 never ending. Right. And I think like there's the, there's one level of like, you know, working. I always liked working in the, the summer camps I did over the summer. I, I, I don't. I've seen you a few days after those jobs and you seem to be pretty happy. Like it's, it's fun to be with kids. When I yeah. see what the teachers are doing in this article, it's like hard demeaning work. I mean, some of these people are moving, like working in Amazon warehouses, like stuff that especially give after the, the emotional exhaustion of a day of teaching, which is really like nothing else. Uh, I mean, it's just got to be so goddamn demoralizing. Well, and that I think I think that's the the point we need to to get on. And I I want to I want to read the the stats of the one that you just mentioned. That's a uh, John Caligori um, out of uh, Cincinnati, who is a music teacher who has worked on the job for twenty four years. Twenty four years. That's a lifetime. <laughs> he makes eighty one thousand dollars a year, which is Good, not great. Yeah, 81,000 is good, not great. I have worked with teachers in private schools who have worked for 24, 24 years. They make a buck 35. Yeah. Like, yeah. So the point is, the money is there. Like, there's money to be made. It, so this is a completely ridiculous, ridiculous sum that, that, that this guy's getting, you know, ridiculously low. His second job is a loader at an Amazon warehouse. He's not like he's not supervising. He's not like working the boards or something. He is getting off of a, you know, eight to 10 to 12 hour, you know, shift teaching all day. And then he's going and picking up boxes. And like we wonder why like our our students are failing or we wonder why we have like dropping test scores like you're you're not we're not providing our teachers with the things that they need to even make a living wage. So they're going to second jobs. They are moonlighting, which I mean, in some industries is is illegal. Like you can't moonlight, you know, because it, it'll it'll you know be a detriment to your actual job. Right. It would just be totally impaired. There's also like something like totally fucked up and poetic about the fact that he has to do that. He's 
working all day as a teacher and then going to the altar of our corporate overlord Amazon <laughs> and putting in time lifting boxes like fuck that right no yeah. like like you're saying I think obviously the the key to solving this is to get every teacher in America with a second or third job a secondary or tertiary job to uh to sign up to some sort of like you know, sort of Craigslist for for scabbing teachers, uh, where we can all just be, we can subvert the industries that we're working in, right? Where the movie theater clerks are giving out free tickets to teachers, where the <laughs> Amazon loaders are just sending mystery packages to teachers everywhere, and then just claiming they have no idea where the fuck those boxes went. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's interesting because like it, it makes me think a lot about the gig, the nature of the gig economy in general. Right. Because I want, you know, to what degree, you know, the fact that with the gig economy you can have uh, short term, um, like low hour work to supplement your income is on one hand a very good thing. On the other hand, to, I wonder to what degree it enables, um, it enables these schools to understand that we can pay our teachers less. And there are now the resources external to our building and our district through which they can still survive. And right. we're going to do that. And it's fucked up. I, I think I think that's the real problem. I, I think that um, and I, I, I think that that's the message that's being sent is that um, just like just like the president said during the shutdown, uh, which is still ongoing as of this recording. But at the beginning of the shutdown, he said something to the effect of like, you know, when asked about what people will do who are not getting who are furloughed, who are not getting their paycheck, he said basically like they'll they'll find a way. They're Americans. They'll find a way. We always find a way. And it's like that's that's the nature of the gig economy is it says to people, you, you have to go find a way. You have to pull up your bootstraps. And even though you're already working full time, even though you're already doing this important, meaningful job. Uh, another thing that strikes me about this is, I mean, how many of these, these teachers are, are in Oklahoma? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I think, I believe on a previous episode of this show, I've talked about how disappointed I am in the state of Oklahoma vis-a-vis the education system. But like one of these guys quotes is saying like, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma and I, I am the smart, capable man I am today because I had good teachers who stayed in this, in this economically depressed town and helped and taught me. And I feel compelled by that same mission. And these guys are fucking preyed on. Like the fact that they are so mission driven, which is so deeply admirable, means that, that they can be they're they're being mistreated mm -hmm. and aren't given any other recourse. And, I, and like I wonder what the uh, um this kind of gets into the LA thing, like what the union presence is in these places. I'm sure in Oklahoma it's nil. Right. To to protect to protect men like these men and women I'm, like I'm I'm glad you bring up Oklahoma um, because Oklahoma uh, uh, certainly also makes me think of Kentucky and and other states that have really uh, gone to from what I understand very uh, experimental uh, you know tax law uh, by which I mean just completely cutting all taxes and all services throughout their states to the point where not only can they not pay teachers or provide benefits to you know any like civic worker uh but they're going to like four day school weeks and things like that and they've they've had all these strikes um and i want to uh tag on to our previous uh article with this one by jacobin 
the shocking attack on teacher pay by Megan Day. Um, and this is where I'm going to add in that other percentage that I talked about earlier. So 16% of all K through 12 teachers have taken second jobs in the United States. According to a new survey conducted by Airbnb, 10% of the company's hosts in the United States are teachers. That's pretty remarkable given that less than 2% of the country are K through 12 educators. So what's driving teachers to rent out their homes and spare bedrooms? It's obvious low pay. So this goes on to describe in pretty grand detail what they mean by low pay and the fact that pay for teachers has literally gotten worse as uh, literally gone down as uh, cost of living has risen. I'm going to read like two paragraphs from this and then uh, we'll discuss a new analysis from the Economic Policy Institute, that's EPI, finds that public school teachers are paid on average nearly 20% less than workers in professions that require similar education and training. So that, of course, is going to be important when we go back to talking about uh, school loans because they're making less, but they still have the same amount of training, the same amount of student debt. Um, the researchers also found that in 1994, the pay gap was roughly 2%, meaning the wage penalty that public school teachers faced for electing to educate our nation's children has risen by 18 percentage points in just a couple of decades. Um, it's not just the comparison to other professions that's dismal. The report finds that adjusted for inflation, teacher pay has actually decreased since the mid-90s. Meanwhile, cost of living has skyrocketed and each dollar buys less than it did 20 years ago. Many teachers are desperate for ways to make up the difference. Low teacher pay is not a natural side effect of a shaky economy, a times are rough inevitability. It's a political choice. For one thing, the process predates our economic woes. Deteriorating compensation for public educators began with the neoliberal austerity and privatization movements of the late 20th century and has picked up steam with the billionaire-backed charterization movement in the 21st. Nor can low teacher pay simply be blamed on the loss of government revenue available for education spending due to the recession and slow recovery. Uh, rather, it is the result of revenue declines states brought on themselves by cutting taxes. Uh, a host of and a host in a host of state governments that favor the private over the public sector and the one percent over the rest. That meant giving money to corporations and the rich instead of to teachers and schools. So that's all we're going to take from this Jacobin article because there's plenty there to unpack. Uh, Willie, what what were your bigger takeaways in in all of that? One thing I thought was was super interesting about that article that I hadn't really thought about was uh, the comparison they draw between teachers and the pay that teachers receive to those who. Uh, work in fields that require a similar amount of education to enter the field right. and just how much lower teachers are paid compared to that, which wasn't something I'd, I'd really thought of before. You know, like there are barriers to entry to become a teacher, which would require things like student loans. And when you put that into the equation of what it means to then get a depreciating amount of, of income as, as you stay in this field, it's is fucking horrible. Right. I mean, without without being terribly unfair, and I, I hope that you'll catch me if I am being terribly unfair, what, what that also sounded like to me was um, it sounded like 
uh, a lot like the the wage gap between men and women, right? It sounded like this idea of if you work just as hard as somebody doing something else to get into it, and and you're then working just as hard in your job as that person is in another job, you can still never make up that difference simply because for whatever reason, we've decided to cut taxes in order to save a buck and that's coming out of your paycheck. In the same way that women, you know, based on our, our unequal misogynistic pay schema in this country, no matter what they do in certain fields, will just never make the same amount that a man would of the same level. Yeah, I mean, this article is hard to read, man. Um, was was really hard. Um, what else did you take from it, Gabe? So, I mean, another thing that I took from it was this um, this idea that it's it's not a natural side effect and that it is a choice. And and I think that that's that's a thing that gets really lost a lot of the time in in, I think, the zeitgeist around teachers is there's always been this talk of, you know, oh, teachers are underpaid. Right. It's just it's just sort of an assumption that teachers are underpaid. And then whenever somebody in your family says, oh, yeah, I'm going into education, everybody goes, really? Like, why? Because we all just know you're not going to be paid well. Um, But that I think that normalization of it has made it seem like teachers have to be underpaid. And that's not the case. So on the on the on the scale of those places that we were just talking about in terms of uh, the previous article from The New York Times, in terms of Oklahoma and Kentucky and Cincinnati, those are states where they've cut taxes in order again, in order to save a buck, they've cut taxes all across the board. And so they've decided to pay teachers less. I will tell you right now. I'm not afraid to share my own salary on air. I will tell you right now that in my first year in the DOE in New York City, I make more than almost every teacher that I just read to you who had 20-something years on the job. I make $63,000 a year with my master's at the DOE. Now, that is shit, and I have made more teaching in other places, but the fact is we tax ourselves fairly rigorously in New York. And as a result, you know, people doing these jobs can make, is it a fair wage? I mean, no, because the cost of living in New York is completely fucking insane. It's, it's totally adjusted, but I'm just, you know, it, like you said, there's, there's a lot of disheartening to this article, but, but for me, the idea that this is a choice and that this is a choice that politicians are making and that this is a choice that that they are selling to their delegates, they're selling to their uh, their constituencies is ridiculous. And this is why we're seeing strikes more and more, because, you know, people are waking up to it. Right. People are getting woke to this idea of choice. Right. But but I think you're right that the. Uh... The degree to which this has just become um, an understood, like, like just background condition of what it means to be an American, that teachers just get paid like shit, is is pervasive. It's like global warming. It's like it's totally a choice that we've made policy-wise and lifestyle-wise for a very long time, 
And now we're just like, oh, the planet's going to shit. <laughs> Nothing we can do about it. And he's like, right. it's, it's just not the case. Um, I'll say I, that when I oh, – go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say I'm, I'm so glad you brought up policy because I think this is also one of those like weird like cart before the horse situations where where people start to think that that it's 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 the it's the factor of it that dictates the policy instead of the reverse, which is always going to be the case that the policy is dictating what is actually happening. Right. So we we think that we have to start somewhere. We have to start with culture. We have to start with this. No, we have to start with changing policy. Yeah. Someone being courageous enough to stand to, to take a stand on a on a larger level than I mean, I honestly, I don't know on what level of a political official, an elected official, is taking a stand on an issue like this. I've I've certainly never heard anyone talk about it unless they're talking to a convention of teachers. And in that case, it tends to be as much about accountability and and uh, other measures being introduced into education rather than anything related to compensation. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because before you go any further, I wanna I wanna speak to that, which is. Also, to my understanding, just this one of these complete false equivalencies, right? This idea that it has to be a negotiation, that if that that if if the if the teachers lobby, if the teachers union sits down with the with Congress and says, hey, listen, we got to do better on teacher pay. Congress says something like, well, you have to do more metrics and you have to do more data and you have to do more testing. Eat my fucking asshole. <laughs> like, don't tell us how to, like, be good at our jobs, and we'll stop telling you how to be shitty at your jobs. Like, you're already doing that in spades. Like, we don't get to dictate terms on you. You just do whatever you want anyway. So anyway, but without me being flippant about it, but really, it doesn't have to be a compromise. Like, because simply, simply put, if you paid teachers well and they didn't have second and third jobs, you wouldn't have to hold them as accountable. They would give 110% at the one job that they have. They didn't go into teaching to make a buck. They went into teaching to make a difference. We already know that. So you have high investment already. So just pay them well, they won't take third jobs, and they'll be able to give their all to the thing that they're doing. Right. Like anybody I mean, that can't see that is is retarded. I'm sorry. Well, the like the idea that uh, the idea that you would get someone's pay beyond like beneath a livable wage and then say like, well, what accountability what accountability measures will you accept so we can bump your pay up? And you're like, fuck you. Like if if you're going to starve me to this point, I'm not going to accept accountability measures to then get an adequate amount of food. You fucking assholes. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that's what that's what the uh, that's what uh, the Republicans tried to uh, position Obama's like death councils on. Right. It was kind of like it was kind of like you just you just take a person who's in like semi whack shape and like just take all their organs out, just put them on life support and then wake them up and go, OK, so are you going to change your lifestyle if we give you your kidneys back? Like, are you going to eat better and be less diabetic? if we give your gallbladder. Because if you're not, if you're not gonna make any changes, then well, I don't know why we should keep you alive. Right, because if not, we can really just keep you plugged in at the matrix. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're already harvesting your brain electricity uh, to power somebody's Netflix account. So uh, this is a win-win for us. 
Um, in in this uh, Jacobin article, they mentioned the state of Colorado, where I used to be a teacher. And um, I'll say that when I, so I started teaching, I did not have a master's degree and I went right out of college. And I was making 36,000 a year. But with the addition of, because I worked in a bilingual classroom and in a high need neighborhood, so they bumped it up to 42 with bonuses. Right. But but I was also like 22 years old. So, it, you know, it's like when you like give a child like $5 and they're like, I'm rich. <laughs> You're like, you don't, you know, like, wow, I'm getting paid dog shit, but you don't like right. totally understand the, um, the scope of responsibility that will come with adult life. No. And, and, and to, and to think that like the pay scale does not, didn't get that much better. Right. This is, this is what I like too. And I, I don't want to go too, too deep into this because actually, uh, coming shortly, we're going to have our, uh, fully loaded, um, student debt relief episode. Um, yeah, it's going to be huge. Uh, we're going to have, uh, David Zuger on the podcast for that one. Cause he's the only one who understands, uh, economics, <laughs> uh, well enough on the podcast to handle it. Um, but it is it is funny when you mentioned like uh, based on the, the the you know the the way that you were given uh, a preferential scale based on what you were teaching and where you were teaching right on on your population and I, it made me think about these uh, these funny things like you know uh, if you work at a uh, a Title One school you could be for like a number of years you could be eligible I get these notices all the time uh, you could be eligible to earn up to like. 17,000 off of your uh, student loans or something or this that or the other and I always just look at these things and I go like that is a drop in the fucking bucket <laughs> after which I will already have paid so much of this like you can't even imagine how meaningless a number these things are that they come up with and or, or the like human effort that it would take to like the, the the herculean effort it would take sorry to accomplish the thing that they're talking about and these are of course like these are these arbitrary numbers and arbitrary policies written by bureaucrats it's like oh yeah 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 three years three years in a in a in a in a school uh with uh you know like seven gunshot victims a year like that that's okay right like like we can give them a break after that right right how much purgatory can you take <laughs> like for 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 those of you that that are aware of of uh Martin Luther King High School it was Martin Luther King High School right on uh next to LaGuardia on 60 68th in Amsterdam right that large um that large cube on the outside? It was, I'm so glad you said it. It was a large cube, okay? This is Martin <laughs> Luther King Junior High School in Manhattan uh, next to the high school that fame is based on, LaGuardia. So you have on one side of this uh, slim street uh, on the west side of Manhattan, you have on one side uh, this pristine building uh, with just fucking dancers and singers coming out of it. It's a public school, but you have to have immense talent to even get in. And on the other side of it, you have what was for years, decades, the worst zoned high school in all of Manhattan. It was, as Willie described, a cube. It, it looked like the Borg out of Star Trek. It was a cube, but you could very clearly... Uh, uh, distinguish 
the chain link fence in areas where the cube was missing or in like, you know, sort of exposed hallways um, because it was a prison. I mean, there was no other way of describing it other than like an open air prison, like Oz or something. (laughs) And like, I just imagine if you could spend like six hours in that place, like you should be given some sort of like student debt relief. Like really? Or like across the street, it's like a constant like Broadway musical. (laughs) (laughs) Like, can you keep down the tap dancing? I'm trying to read. That's really it. No, it was just it, it. It's this amazing juxtaposition, and like, and it, and 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 there's nothing that even explains that. There's nothing even in this Jacobin article that explains how, in literally the same district, the same zip code, the same like fucking mailing address, you can have two schools with such disparity. And uh, I, I don't know. Uh, we're we're a little off topic with that one, but I just I felt it was a good place to go. All right, I thought that was great. We got we got plenty of good there. I think that was that was a good thing to do. That was huge. No, that's been a long one, and I I wanted you to be on that one, so that was good to talk about. All right, All right. cool beans. Yeah, thank you, thanks. my man. Thanks for doing this. All right, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Later. The Dull Crayons is a free and independent podcast supported by listeners like you. To show us support and keep us free, stop by our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dullcrayons and write into us at dullcrayons at gmail.com. Along with our hosts for this episode, we'd like to thank Jesse Katz and Gwen Gallitzer for the theme music and Colin Matthews for the logo.